strong. Yes. Yes, like a, I got an email this week. They sent out to like our office because we're in a shared office space. And the, the email started with these words. As we start winding down towards the end of the year. <coughs> and I don't know, we had a, like a laugh in the office. Eh? We were like, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but like we're not, we're not winding down in our office at the moment. I don't know, you guys, work-wise, winding no. down? No. No, we like, we actually have got a lot of work to do. Finishing strong, focusing on finishing the year the way we started it. I thought it was such a classic, such a classic email. And um, so funny, I went to listen to a friend of mine preach last Sunday in Fishhook. It's nice when you have church in the afternoon, you can go and check out what other churches are doing. And um, she was preaching about like 2020 and uh, like word for word, this is the line she said, it's not time to wind down, it's time to wind up. It's not time to wind down, it's time to wind up. And I felt God said to me, it's not time to dial it down. It's time to turn up the dial of faith and expectation. And I was like, geez, Lord. I'd much rather you have said like, no, it's time for rest. Take some time off. You've done well. You've earned it. Um, but yeah, I really felt a conviction that there's some areas in my own life where I step back from having faith to see God break in and do what only He can do. Maybe I'm the only one. But um, I was like, okay, Lord. You know, when God speaks to you, like, yes, Lord. And. Um, but you know what I mean? You get to a place where you just start coasting in certain areas of your life, um, where you can put on autopilot. Yeah? Am I preaching to the choir here? You know, where you've just learned, like you've, you've learned to function. You know, for me, um, and I'm not talking about people who you're living in a demanding season where you're literally just trying to make it through the day. I'm not talking about that. I'm talk, you know, it's like, for me, it's like getting to work and just like, oh, I'll just go through the motions, you know? Yes? Or when you spend time with people and you're just like, oh man, I'd much rather not speak life or faith into this person. I'm just going to like totally agree with the negativity. You know? it's, like, it's, it's like a beer. It's a Friday. It's the end of the week. It's just like, oh man, yeah, I know, life's terrible. I know, the country's going to the dogs. He's 24. Um, okay? And I, yeah, I just felt like God says, God said, like, no, it's actually time to start dialing up your faith and your expectation for those years of your life. And I really feel like we honestly believe that God's saying to us, it's not time to wind down, it's time to wind up, it's time to dial it up. And that's why we're going through, going through the series of um, Finishing Strong. And I really feel like it's, 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 it's not just a nice phrase, it's actually an invitation from the Spirit. It's not just like a, a nice way to make people feel guilty at the end of the year. I, re- I really feel like the Spirit wants to prepare our hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And, I, it, you know, he's not, the thing about God is that He's never been looking for comfortable people. Mm-hmm. And He's never been looking for accomplished people. Yeah. Who, like, who've, met, who've got their ducks in a row. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever tried to actually physically get ducks in a row. Next time you see ducks, try it. It's not easy. It's basically impossible. So don't worry about getting all your ducks in a row. Seriously. 
he's, he's not after the comfortable, he, he really wants us to be hungry and thirsty. Like genuinely wants us to be, to live from a place, place of faith and expectation. And I love it because the Bible says his grace is made perfect in our weakness. You know, when you get to the end of yourself, you realize you actually get to the beginning of who he is. Yeah. He's created you to be. And I feel like a lot of us have got to a place where we feel like we're at the end of ourselves. Yeah? So, yeah, I'm just going to take a, a step here. But who of you guys feel like you've really been living in a season of contending? Like the last season? Like, season of, like, where like everything is a battle. Yeah? And especially, especially in the areas of your heart and life where you've, where you've, got vision, where you've had vision we have had a dream or you've had a problem or pro- you've had a promise. And I just, I really felt that the enemy has been on an unrelenting campaign over our lives of assault in the last season. Um, and we don't have to give him glory or airtime, but um, because I think there's something that God's been stirring in many of our hearts and the enemy knows that if it comes to fruition, that all heaven is going to break loose. And you see, the enemy knows that if he can kill the, God, the life of God in us and the dreams the Father has placed in us when they're in conception phase or at a fetus or even at like a toddler phase, it's, far, it's a far more effective strategy for him to oppose the kingdom breaking out. If he can get that thing young and kill it off, it's way more effective for him. Yeah. And it's not a surprise that we see this new, like there's this new vehement approach to abortion. I'm not going to go into that, but... There's this thing where, like, you can now, people are talking about aborting at, like, full term or after, after term. It's, it's like this, it's like the strategy of the enemy he always comes to kill something at its infancy. The enemy knows that when the seed of promise of God has come to full term, he can't oppose it. And um, it's not a coincidence that when, we, Carl was talking about Moses last week, when Moses was born, there was this whole, like, genocide of all the boys. Because the enemy knew if he could take Moses out, then he wouldn't have to try and oppose the plans of God for the nation. And the same for Jesus. When Jesus was born, there was a whole infant side of a whole generation. It must have been quite interesting for Moses and Jesus to grow up with like no one, no one at their stage of life. The enemy will always come in to kill and slaughter and snuff out the life of the seed of promise and the life and the faith that God has birthed. And I feel like God's been birthing stuff in our hearts and that's why some of us have been in a real contending season because the enemy just wants to, if he can kill it now, then he knows, cool, he's won the battle. So, who's been living in a season of contending? Cool, you guys can just stand. This is this is this is a moment for you. This is a moment for us. I'm I'm also standing. So, um, and I just felt like you know, there's that story of there's that, that story in the I don't know where it is offhand, but there's that story in the Old Testament where Moses is on the mountain and when he holds his hands like the 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 the, the um, Israelites are winning and when he puts them down, the enemy wins. And then it comes to a point where he can't hold his hands up any longer. So like someone comes and holds his hands up. And like when we were in worship, I just felt like that's a prophetic sign. So what I want to do, be quite interactive, but I'll, I want, 
I want to just declare some stuff over you guys. But I want you guys to put your hands up. But then I want the guys around you to come and actually hold your hands up as a symbol of what the Spirit wants to do. So I, I don't know if, it, if there's like more people standing than sitting, but that's okay. So if you're not if you're not doing that, then just go and just no like. So, yeah, thank you, Lord. So let's just, um, let's just quiet our spirits. Mm, thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for this moment. Mm. And I just want to prophesy over your lives today that where the enemy has sought to sow destruction and bring about ruin, that today the word of God over your life is enough is enough. I just declare that enough is enough. And we say over we say over your guys' lives this afternoon, this far, no further. And I want to call forth the seed of promise that God has placed in your heart to take root, so that the destiny that He's placed over your lives would be fulfilled. And the things that the, the enemy has tried to come in and kill, we just say no more. And where the enemy is stolen, we, we declare, we say today, next year and the years to come, that you guys will reap 50-fold, you'll reap 100-fold of the things the enemy has tried to plunder you. And just like the Israelites walked out of the camp with the treasures of the enemy, that the enemy's plans are going to actually turn on itself and they're going to resource you for the things God has created you to walk in. So we just declare heavenly resources over you. We just declare that God would bring about breakthrough. And for some of us, our prayers and our prayers, I just had this picture like your prayers, your prayers have welled up like a, it's like water in a dam. And it's like at a tipping point where that wall of opposition and that wall of resistance is going to come crashing down. So right now I just say, breakthrough in Jesus' name. Breakthrough. Thank you, Lord. You guys can, you guys can sit. Oh, thank you, Lord. Mm. Mm. It's good. You know, the awesome thing about walking through these seasons is that the one thing the enemy can't steal from you is your sacrifice of praise. You can't take it away. And I heard someone say this week, like, when we, get, when we, when we pass through this life into the next life, we'll worship. But... This is the only time we get to choose. And when you get to those moments where it's like a fork in the road and you choose praise, it's like, that. I think that's what the Bible means, a sacrifice of praise. And the enemy can't take that away from you. And it's like this pure, pure, like ointment, like anointing fragrance to the Lord. That no one else can offer up but you. And you know, the Bible talks a lot about like, like crushing and for some of us it's like even in a season of crushing it's like in the kingdom it produces like this oil of this offering of like this pouring out of our lives from the Lord and for some of us it's going to be I feel like the next season is going to be an outpouring of His glory outpouring of His presence that's far going to outweigh like the crushing And the Lord says over us, your, your greatest victories are still ahead of you. Your greatest victories are still ahead of you. Mm. 
Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I was really struck last week when Carl was talking about Moses and um, the thing that really hit my heart is when Carl was talking about how Moses encountered God in the burning bush and I am that I am. How's it go? And um, if you, on the podcast, Caleb just said that in Hebrew. I won't try to repeat it. And um, the thing that struck me, Carl was just saying how, like, when God called out this destiny over Moses, like, it would have been so obvious to everyone else in Moses' life, you know? Because God calls him to be the, the, the man who would lead Israel out of Egypt. And, like, he's the only Hebrew in all the nation who grew up in Pharaoh's house. Like, everyone else would be like, it's obvious. Like, if God's going to use anyone, you're, you're the guy. <laughs> like, and Moses is like, you know? And, and I was just, what struck me is that um, often in our own lives, like, it's so obvious to other people that God has, like, prepared us and set us up to be in the places we're in. And then to us, we're like, oh, God, like, what's going on? Like, where's my destiny? And everyone's like, actually, no. Like, it's obvious. It's like, this, your whole life has led you to this point for, for you to be who God's called you to be. And, um, and it struck me in my own life that there's certain areas that, like, that, really resonate, that really resonated for me, especially in like, the area of work. Because it's really easy for me to see like, God working in my own life, like standing up here and preaching or being in ministry or church and stuff. But like, when I'm at the office and, and doing that stuff, it's like... And then I was just thinking, like, no, actually, there's nothing that's not sacred to the Lord. Like, everything is, other than sin, everything is sacred. So why do we make things, over-spiritualize some things, and other things we, we tend to, like, downplay? He's prepared us for the places we're in to bring His kingdom and, and be... And be used for his purposes way beyond our ability. And you know, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, anyone? It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Any area in our lives where we are not living or moving from a place of faith, we cannot please him. And the thing is, it's not about like, us trying to please God because the posture of his heart is he's always pleased with us. Son, we're beloved sons and daughters. We don't have to try and get his approval. He already approves of us. But there's something about living a life of faith that bling, brings pleasure to the heart of God. Like the, the, like the fruit of our lives must be from a place of faith. Because otherwise, we, you know, we're not pleasing him. He's forming us into people who have hearts that are positioned for Him to break in at any, sec- any second. So I just really feel like God just wants to breathe on us to live from a place of faith again. Like faith, you know, for God to actually really do what He said He would do. And to really do the impossible. Because if it's within our own ability, then it's not faith. It's just like, it's just obvious. You know? Do we really believe that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him? And I feel for some of us, He's just going to start saying, okay, fine, like, I want to set aside some more time to pray and seek Him. And it's, it's great that we don't have to like, 
live a life where things are separate and whatever, and, and you know, we experience His presence all the time. But there's something about a heart where it says, like, well, I'm going to set aside a, a moment in my day. I'm going to set aside time in my day as an altar unto the Lord to seek Him. Because I know that He rewards me when I seek Him. And the reward is not something that He necessarily gives us, but He is the reward. And I think there's something about being a people who live in this generation and actually say, no, like David said, like, I'll not offer it to him unless it costs me something. And there's something of God's, like, calling us to be people who say, like, no, there's something of living a life of faith and pursuit of God where it does, it comes at a cost. Not because he's asking us to be people who, like, whip ourselves, but because, actually, no, like, he is so worthy. He's so worthy. So he wants to realign our hearts to bring like a really costly offering. You know, because we can live a life that's like really comfortable, eh? It's easy to live in a place of comfort. But I feel like there's something where it's like God says, I've just got you at a place where I want you to just seek me because I've called you to be a person of faith. So I just want to go into this story of Moses for a few minutes. I know we don't have that much time. But Cole was speaking from uh, Exodus 3 last week and I just want to go into uh, a few verses in Exodus 4. So Moses had encountered God at the burning bush. God speaks his destiny over him. And this is like a two-chapter long conversation. So Exodus 4 verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has appeared to you. And then he carries on, he puts his hand in his cloak, takes it out, he's got leprosy on his hand, he puts his hand back in, takes it out, he's got no more leprosy. Um, and there's this, whole, like, um, there's this whole exchange. And then he says, um, and then Moses says in verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Um, now therefore go and I'll speak. I'll be with your mouth and I'll teach you what you shall speak. And then Moses argues with the Lord again and then says, I can't do it. And then the Lord says he'll send Aaron. And they have a con continuing conversation. And then... He ends in verse 17 and says, And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. And then in verse 20, and Then Moses went back to his father and the one said, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And, Mo and Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife, his sons, and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And um, I love that first, that first verse 
in chapter 4. Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And um, it's so interesting. Like He has this encounter with God. And then he's like, he's, he has this conversation. And in this, in this verse he says, But behold, they will not listen to me. They will not believe me or listen to my voice. And they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And it's so interesting. We can have these moments where we encounter God. And, and then all of a sudden, like our natural reasoning will just be like, like he says, but behold, like the whole behold thing means like God, like consider, consider the facts, like God, look at the facts around my life, consider the circumstances surrounding my life, like this is not going to happen, this is not going to happen, like God, if you just, if you just like take into account like where I am right now, like, I don't know where you've been, but if you can see that what's going on in my life. Any of us had that conversation recently? And then he goes one step further, but he's not actually talking about the circumstances. He's like, God, if you actually knew me, like, if you know me, like, I know me. You know? Like, other people know me, like, I want them to know me. But if you knew me, like, I know me, when I'm in the traffic, like, <laughs> this is not, not going to happen. And... Um, you know, the enemy always tries to convince us of our inadequacies and to live from a place of inadequacy. And I think, and I feel like for some of us, we've been living in a season of, of but behold, like, but, but God, just, t- just take a look and like, just, you know, anyone? And he says, they won't believe me and they won't listen to me. It's like, they won't, they won't be convinced. Like, I'm not convinced of myself. How am I going to convince other people? Like, they're not going to take me seriously. And it's amazing how when you live from a place of unbelief, you set up these scenarios in your mind of already what's going to happen. Like, you're, he's already predicted of how people are going to respond to him. It's so interesting how we, like, play out these scenarios in our mind by, like, convincing God of the facts over our lives and of who we are. And the reason the enemy wants us to live from a place of inadequacy, because then it just makes us focus totally on ourselves. Because then Moses is like, well, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to hear my voice. So like, why should I do it? And then it just stops us from moving to people. And that's why the enemy is so, he's so convinced of trying to get us to not believe what God said over our lives. Because it means when we do believe what he said over our lives, we'll actually go and do something about it. Makes sense. And there's something about God saying, like, I want you to see what I see over your life. Because I always see something bigger over your life than you do. So get a glimpse of my vision over your own life, because your life is meant to be more lived for more than just yourself, but for other people. Yeah. It's fascinating. Like Moses is having this whole debate with God, like in the out, outer place of the wilderness, like totally separate from his people. And you can see, like, God is just, like, saying, I've, like, I've called you for this. I've placed you. I've, like, I've prepared you. Your whole life has brought you to this place. And I love it. God totally circumvents Moses' reasoning and argument. And he says, it says, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. I love it. God will never respond to our unbelief. 
Like God doesn't even, it's like he has this whole like monologue with God and then God just like, just like, okay, now what's that in your hand? It's like God's not interested in our unbelief. He won't speak unbelief. He won't even respond to unbelief. He responds to faith. Faith is the thing that moves his heart. And then he says to him, what's in your hand? And that, that phrase is like stuck in my head the whole week. What is, it, what is in your hand? What's in your hand right now? Like, what's, what, what, you, what are you living with? Like, yeah. like what's at hand? Yeah. Like, God's saying, like, cool, okay, but like, what have you got with you on you right now? And he says the staff. And it's so interesting because this is a man who was raised in Pharaoh's household. He would have, like, been dressed in royal linen. He would have, like, probably, someone told me this week that they met someone who, like, grew up in, like, colonial Zimbabwe, like back in the day, and until that, like until she like got called by God and became a missionary, she never washed her hair with her own hands. This is like back in the back in the day. Like that's probably what Moses' life was. He probably never washed his hair with his own hands until he, he left the the courts of Pharaoh. Um, so it's so interesting because he would never have lived his life with a staff. But he goes and he flees to the wilderness after killing a man with his hands. And it says in Exodus 3 verse 1, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. In some verses it says to the back of the desert. Like he had totally gone on this whole detour because Pharaoh was going to kill him because Pharaoh had found out that Moses had killed an Egyptian. And now he goes from being this guy who lived a life of royal privilege and this incredible upbringing to be a guy who's looking after someone else's sheep. It's like, you don't get further away from like living in your destiny than that. He was like at the furthest point of, of, of living in the place. And God says to him, what's in your hand? And he says, the staff. And he said, and he said throw it on the ground. And then the, the staff became a snake and he picked it up. And there's this whole exchange and then he says in verse 17 take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs and it's something like I just found it so profound like God God comes into the place where Moses is like he's derailed his entire life he's like rerouted his entire existence he's married some lady out living in the desert it even says in um, Exodus 2 21 Moses was content to dwell with a man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. Like Moses had gone so far that he was like he was content to just live in the desert, look after the sheep. Life's, life's good. I'm just looking after the flocks. Taking it easy. I'm in my comfort zone. I'm away from opposition. And God comes in. He says, what's in your hand? And he says, a staff. And he says, I'm going to use that staff. In Exodus 14, 16, it's the moment where he's about to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And God says, lift up your staff, raise your hand, and the sea begins to depart. And it's amazing because God takes what's in his hand in that moment when he's totally at the furthest place from his destiny. He says, I'm going to use that thing. 
and you're going to carry that staff and you're going to fulfill your destiny with that staff in your hand. It wasn't even something that you were meant to carry, but I'm going to use it as a reminder that I can use anything in your life and turn it around. Oh my good. And I wonder if Moses was, would, would think, like, when he had the staff in his hand, like, like, God says, what's in your hand? But like, the significance of it is that that very hand he had used to kill an Egyptian. Like it says, he actually killed the Egyptian with his bare hands. And God chooses to use something that's in his hands. And his hands would have reminded him of like the greatest failure in his life. The greatest low point in his life. And God says, like, I'm so, I'm so um, secure in myself. I'm so secure in my ability to use you despite your lowest point. That I'll remind you at every point in time that you're actually having something in your hand. And I'm redeeming your hand and I'm using it. To bring about my purposes. So like. You think of the worst moment. Or the lowest point in your life. God can redeem it. Genesis 50. I think it is. Joseph. Gets reunited with his brothers. And he says. What you meant for my harm. God meant for good. Like the very thing. That. The enemy set up to destroy me, God will turn it around and he'll use it for my good. And I think every time Moses must have carried that staff, he must have thought, wow, God will use my hands. It's precisely when we're in the place when we feel furthest from our fulfillment of where we're supposed to be that God equips us and he calls us. And it's amazing, like, Moses went from, like, pastoring, pastoring, I think the word they call it, pastoring the flocks in the desert, to, like, pastoring a whole generation of God's people. Because God's vision over your life is always bigger than your own vision. He was content to live in the desert, looking after sheep, and God wasn't content to leave him in that place. Because God said, no, I've got a destiny over your life. And my vision of your life is always bigger than your own vision of your life. And if you live from a place of disappointment, you're going to get content to dwell looking after other people's resources when I've actually called you to be a man of resources. I've called you to be a man who would draw people up and take them to a place of salvation. It's amazing. Moses' name in Genesis 2, it says, When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. It's amazing that the little kid that was drawn out of the water was the man that was used to draw the waters aside so that the Israelites could walk through the water. It's like the victory that God had won over Moses' life by keeping keeping him alive was the very victory that God used him to bring about for other people to walk into into the land of promise. The victories that God has over our own lives are not for ourselves. But actually we go from a place of actually encountering victory in God and actually saying, no, God has got something so much bigger over my life and this victory is just going to be such a small sign of the victory He's going to do in other people's lives in the same area. It's amazing. Moses, you know, Moses killed the Egyptian because he, was, he, he, he became so... He became so upset and he became so moved at the bondage of the Israelites. 
He just wanted to free that one slave from that moment. And you see, what we try to accomplish in our own strength, God will supersede and accomplish on his terms and in his scale. Like when Moses tried to solve the problem, it just led to death of an Egyptian. But like when God did it, it led to the salvation of like millions of people. It's amazing. Like when we try to do things in our own strength, it just like it just doesn't work. But in the moments of just surrendering to God and like actually surrendering to what He's spoken of our lives, like God just bring, brings such life. What's impossible with us is possible with Him. And I just love I just love picturing Moses in like that scene of like the water's coming apart and he's got the staff and he's thinking back to like. The wilderness and being like, how did I get you? Like, and I was thinking about like that whole thing of hands. And I was thinking like, how is it that like when Jesus rose from the dead, he had a new body. But how is it that he, why, why did he choose to keep the wounds in his hands? Like, I mean, I don't know if he still had the signs of lashes on his body. It doesn't talk about that. But some, for some reason he chose to keep the wounds in his hands. And I just thought like it's a sign that God is so secure that he can choose to identify with like our wounds. And like Jesus would take that in his body into eternity. So that we could always identify the fact that he was like wounded for us. And he knows our wounds. And I think there's just something about God just coming into our lives and being like, I'll use, I'll use you. Like, I'll use the thing that you thought disqualified you. Because I'm the one that qualifies you. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Yeah, Lord, I, I just thank you that you're so good. And Holy Spirit, right now, I thank you that you're just moving. It's like he's moving through the, through the seats. He's moving. I just see like the Spirit's breathing life. Let's just, yeah, let's just, um, let's just put out our hands. And I feel the Lord said, like the Lord's, the question the Lord has for us today is, what is, what is that in your hand? Like, what's that thing in your hand? For some of us, it's like the thing that we know whenever we think about it, it's like the thing that we feel disqualifies us. For some of us, it might just be like, where are you at right now? Like, what are you, what are you busy with, with your hands? What are you busy, what are you busy with in your life? It might seem like really mundane, or just like, oh, I feel like I'm the furthest place from living in my destiny than I should be. And as you hold your hands there, I just feel like God says, just let me take it. Bring me your disappointment, your fears. Bring me the thing that you think is beyond me to use. And we just say, come, breathe. 
I just feel like Jesus says, just come. Feel my hands. Feel my wounded hands. Feel my hands in your hand. Revelation 21 5 says and he who was seated on the throne said behold I'm making all things new and I feel like the Lord says to us softening I'm making everything new I'm breathing on those places and he says your greatest victories are ahead of you like God wanted to say over some of us today he wanted just to declare the sentence do you know that I am confident in you do you know I'm confident in you I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion is just going to drop some fresh vision into our hearts in this moment. So I want you to ask him now to just say that thing that's in your hand. Say, Father, show me your purposes. watching a really cool video this week of this little kid who's sitting in a classroom and apparently he's like must have been like eight or nine and he can't he's like totally colorblind and this teacher comes and gives him this like new glasses that they've built and as he puts them on you can see color for the first time and this kid is like totally like whacked out and then he starts like bawling his eyes out and I felt like that's what the Spirit wants to do with our vision. He wants to give us like fresh lenses of faith. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe fresh vision into our lives, Lord. That every place that we've tried to disqualify us, Lord, we just surrender and we say, we choose to believe that your purposes of our lives are greater than what we can see in front of us right now. something in our hearts settle something in our hearts about your goodness 
your faithfulness. I want to end with this verse. I'm almost almost the same as what Fee read at the beginning from Isaiah. It's in Revelation 21.6. He says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And there's a real just offer from the Spirit of just water of life that, that we don't have to pay for because we can never pay for it. So if you, are, if you want a drink, just take another drink and enjoy this, this Spirit that I just want to yeah, invite you to just pray for you. Pray for you.